Hey creeps, uh, before we get to today's episode, I wanted to give a wonderful podcast shout out to a friend of the pod, uh, our friend Cornelia. Cornelia and a friend of hers, Carolyn, have their own podcast now called Love Portions. If you're wondering what this magical, witchy type name means, I'll let you know. Love Portions is the podcast for lovers and home cooks. Cornelia and Carolyn are cooking their way through Yvonne Young Tar's Love Portions, a cookbook for lovers. On the way, they'll talk home cooking, romance, and the treacherous landscape of 1970s cuisine. As always, I will never endorse a podcast on here that I don't personally listen to and enjoy and love, and this is no different. All the episodes are really fun. They've just started their second season, so now is the time to hop on it. I mean, none of the episodes are over an hour, so if listening to us, me and Alex, drone on for about two hours every week is too much for you, this is perfect. They're short and they're sweet. And this deep into quarantine, into fucking coronavirus, if you need something to, you know, keep you occupied, change things up, why not go on a cooking journey? You know, get your own copy of Love Portions and cook along with these two wonderful podcast hosts. They're very easygoing, wonderful to listen to, and I can't recommend enough. So definitely check out Love Portions. They are streaming everywhere we're streaming. So Spotify, Apple Music, all that friggin' good stuff. And yeah highly recommend and now on to your regularly scheduled programming listen y'all i'm not trying to be horny as fuck in this quarantine but leslie um if you need another survivor girl i'm available please hit me up i'm here i'm ready anya please do not be thirsty after a fucking serial (laughs) killer what is wrong with you but he's not a real serial killer. Yeah, he's also not hot. Girl, we're Girl. gonna get the fuck into this. Oh my god, are you serious? <laughs> Leslie, oh my god, Bitch, okay. I'm not fucking kidding. Ugh. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> the girls who cried be horror. Hi, you fucking creep. Welcome back to another episode of The Girls Who Cried Be Horror. I am Anya. I'm Alex. What's up? And this month, March, you know, some of you might think we're predictable bitches. You might have thought we were going to do Leprechaun. Girl, no. We're doing 2006's Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. I am so glad that I did not have to fucking watch Leprechaun this month. Um, it's I mean, blessing. yeah. I, I, I don't know if I could do it. In my current like mental state, it's a chore. I really I don't want to. Um, did you know that this is our first post two thousands movie that we're doing? Is it really? It is. I mean, first post two thousands. That's a main episode because yeah. obviously we did um, House of Wax two thousand five. <laughs> well, yeah, and like host and scare me, but yes, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. for our main episodes. We have not hit the two thousands yet, so exciting! Wow, we're venturing into new territory. We're getting fresh. The fresh be horror. <sighs> yes. So, where to start, where to start? Um, well, I think this is a movie that you absolutely do not want spoiled for you. I mean, regardless of whether you'll like it or not, that will come, I guess, in the discussion we have. But um, I highly suggest, I mean, we really do with most of these, that you seek it out and you watch it beforehand. So to start out, if you want to watch this movie before you listen to us discuss it, it's available on Shutter and on Prime for streaming. Um, now that that's said, mm-hmm. for you bitches that are too lazy and you're not going to do it, 
Miss Alex, would mm-hmm. you like to tell our audience, you know, a little summary of what this movie is about? Yes, I did just remember in this moment that I was supposed to prepare that, but I <laughs> also just watched this movie last night, so if I can't tell you what it's about, I have brain damage. So, Great. Um, Behind the Mask follows, well, first of all, it's a film that is set in the universe of a lot of different horror franchises. So in this universe serial killers and you know horror icons like michael myers freddy krueger and jason Voorhees all exist they're real people they are like essentially the ted bundys of this universe where Mm -hmm. they are just these evil people who actually have committed these crimes and so this is a mockumentary film following a grad student named taylor and her two cameramen who have found who is going to become the next big you know villain evil villain and his name is leslie vernon the backstory of him is that he was thrown over a waterfall as a baby and suffered a lot not as a baby as a nine month old wasn't it no because the story is that he well i don't want to step on your toes that's fine he has a tragic backstory that yeah everyone thought he was dead and now he's saying i'm here and i want you to follow me around as i begin training to essentially murder a bunch of people so it's a camera crew following him around learning all of the like behind the scenes of how to become you know the iconic killers so you know his regiment how he picks his victims all of the things that he has planned out and Mm -hmm. essentially it just you know you follow him in his routines and his regimen to get ready and then you eventually follow him in the process of him attacking all of these people that's the basic plot if you want to add anything please feel free to um i mean so for anybody else maybe even if you've watched at this point you're a little confused by the backstory um the backstory is essentially like his you know mythos or whatever the fuck you want to call it is his mother was i guess from what my understanding is his mother was raped by this guy who then like you know fled from town she got married then afterward but then had the baby mm-hmm. that she got pregnant with from the rape. Um, the baby was Leslie. Then, you know, kind of because, like, Leslie was this dark secret, his parents, like, kind of hated him and, like, treated him poorly. So, of course, you know, you get the one day he snaps, he kills his not-real-father and hangs his mother in the apple orchard on their property. Oh, yeah, that's um, right. And then the town folk find out. They come to his house. They drag the boy out of the house. And they throw him over into the waterfall. But then they never found his body. So, but everyone was like, he must be dead. You know, the turtles ate his corpse. But no, he survived. Um, and yeah, it's mockumentary. It, it, it's mostly mockumentary. And then it will cut between like some scenes that are like shot cinematically as if it were like you were just watching a slasher movie. Um, but then it will cut back to like, oh my God, did you guys get that? Like them doing it like in real time or something. Yeah. Um, so my experience with this movie, I mean, the first time I saw it, oh, had to be maybe like two years ago now, two or three years ago. And I actually, funny enough, it came on my radar because I've talked about them before on here, Fright Rags. We both love Fright Rags. They're a great horror merchandise company. Every year for Black Friday, we always buy each other stuff from there and for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but one time, I don't remember what it was. It was like an Instagram post, something from Fright Rags. And they had, actually, you know what it was? I think it was on their website. And they have like every horror movie they have merchandise for, you can like go through. 
So I was like, oh, let me see all the movies they have on here. And I want to make sure that I've, like, seen most of them. And I saw this one behind the mask. And I was like, what the fuck is this? I've never heard of this. And I looked at it. So I then I Googled it, looked it up. And I was like, oh, my God. This seems like something I would love. So then I watched it. And I was correct. I do love this movie. And now I have a t-shirt and some socks from Bright Rags from Behind the Mask. Those so now it all socks. comes full circle. I like um, What is your experience with this movie? My experience was that um, I'd never heard of this movie until I met you, oh. and uh, I think you told me about it probably one night sitting in the box office when we were just like waiting for the night to end. Um, I went home, and it was on Shutter because I feel like it's been on Shutter for as long as I can remember, Yeah, and I watched it probably about, about mm, a year and a half ago, maybe. I feel like it was mm-hmm. right around the time I met you, maybe two years ago, Um and I liked it the first time I watched it. I think I, you know, I was kind of middle ground. Like, I didn't think it was amazing, but I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was really great concept. And mm-hmm. I haven't seen it in a long time. So I rewatched it last night, obviously, in preparation. And I mm-hmm. will admit that I did not care for it as much a second time around. I think okay. that as a whole, it's a very, very strong idea and the concept mm-hmm. is excellent. I just don't think the execution is there for me in a lot of ways, which I'm sure we will get into. So mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm very middle ground with it. I, I appreciate what it's trying to do. I just think that maybe if it had a bigger budget or if it had, I don't know, something else to it, it could be more my scene, but you know, mm-hmm. it didn't do it for me like it does it for you. Interesting. I mean, I think this is the first movie we're doing on here for a main episode in which I am the one mm-hmm. that really likes it and you don't because we haven't had any thus far that I feel like we've strongly disagreed on. Um, I feel like the closest we've come to from my recollection is Tourist Trap. Yeah, or but Castle even so, Freak. Or Castle Freak. And those are ones that definitely you preferred over me. But yeah. even then, I feel like we were pretty much on the same page for a good amount of it. Mm-hmm. Um so this will be interesting to see where we land in this discussion today. I'm excited. Um, but yes, so I guess we should get right into some behind-the-scenes fun. Uh, please, I avoided all facts because I want to be surprised, and I'm very excited. I feel like there's a lot of good stuff. Well, unfortunately, I feel like with most of these <laughs> fucking movies, because they're not fucking Jaws or whatever, that there aren't like all these incredible behind the scenes tidbits that we're sharing with you guys. This movie in particular, a lot of what I'm going to share are like things that like maybe you missed in the movie that were references to other things. Okay, that's fun. Um, but before I do those, let me get into some things that are actually like fact kind of things. Um... Well, for starters, this movie had a budget of $800,000. Okay. Which is a low fucking budget. Um, and they only grossed $69,000 worldwide. It's so bad. So they they ate this one. They mm. ate it. Um, but I don't think that's wild for, like, a, a low-budget movie, low-budget horror. It definitely, from, from what I saw, like, from the, you know, scattering of festivals it went to... It did pretty, I mean, in general, it's a, re- a well-received movie. Mm-hmm. Like, if you look at Rotten Tomatoes and shit, like, it's got a, got a good audience score, a pretty decent critic score, from what I'm recalling. Um, I think it's just one of those ones that, obviously, over time, it has garnered a cult following. Mm-hmm. But at the time, and it could be because nobody knew about it, nobody saw it, this, that, the other thing, it didn't do incredibly well upon its release. Um, there were plans and there have been for a while, for there to be a sequel. 
Um, it would be titled Before the Mask, The Return of Leslie Vernon. Okay. Um, the issue is that I think a while ago they tried to do a Kickstarter for it and they didn't raise enough money. Mm. But then I guess they, I don't know if it was in the same Kickstarter or a different Kickstarter, they raised enough money to, I guess, turn the sequel into like a comic book. Okay. Um, That's an interesting shift. Yeah. I didn't look any deeper to see if the comic book actually got published. But I think that, I mean, you think of anything like, um, like the Alien franchise, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like, even when it stops being made into film, I mean, Alien is a little different because they are still making Alien films. Um, the story continues through literature, and that really works for some of these things because then you have less constrictions about, you know, like, if you're making, you know, TV for a network, like, you have less, you know, restrictions and people aren't telling you what you can and cannot do and you can take the story where you want. Mm-hmm. So that's really interesting. So I, I definitely want to look in to see if these comics actually got made because I would love to have them. Um, but there was a script written for the sequel, obviously, when they've been trying to get this made. But in 2017, the director, whose name is escaping me, excuse me, Scott Glosserman, um, said that by the time it was 2017, the script was outdated, he felt like, because it kind of touched upon what was going on in the genre at the time that he wrote it, which was torture porn and found footage. Mm, yeah. So he had, like, a lot of, like, meta commentary on that stuff. And he felt like in 2017 it would have been outdated, so obviously now he would definitely feel that it's outdated. Which I think is interesting because I'm sure that there's parts of the script... I mean, any script that you write and then five or six years go by, yeah, there's probably going to be elements of it that are outdated. Unless you write a script now that's based in the 80s or something like that then it's, like you're good to go it's really upsetting that my brain was like 2006 yeah like that wasn't that long ago and then i thought about it and i was like that was 15 fucking years ago yeah my bro. brain is <laughs> constantly being like yeah 2002 was like five years ago well because then i feel like you have to like look inward at yourself and you're like yeah. i'm old oh yeah and we're not old that's the thing we're not old but it feels like you're so old when you have moments like that um but I think it's just interesting because, I mean, torture porn and found footage are still things that happen in the genre. Mm-hmm. So I think as a horror fan, I'd be like, yeah, I'll take any commentary on any kind of horror movie that's meta and funny. Like, I don't give a fuck. Sure, give it to me. But I guess if you're looking toward more mainstream audiences as well and, like, in general, I think, you, I mean, think about now. Like, I feel like meta horror is only becoming more and more of a thing. Like, I feel like there's so many horror movies now whether either the whole thing is meta or there's moments in it where it's kind of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge at the mm-hmm. camera. So I feel like, yeah, if you are making a horror movie now that is meta, it's you, you really do have to be like on the pulse, on top of it. Like, what are you saying that's interesting about the genre? Otherwise, no one's going to care. Um, so, you know, here's hoping that eventually, I mean, personally, we get a sequel. I would love to get that. Um, will we ever get it? Lord only knows. Now, let's get into some stuff about the movie that's like fun little things. Um, so, for starters, in the credits, you might not have noticed this, um, it says only one animal was killed during production. I don't but like that. I did not see that. It's not true. 
Okay. The whole thing is that, like, in any of these horror movies where they're like, no animal was harmed during the filming of this movie, mm-hmm. that was their way to, like, spoof it, to be like, okay, only one animal was harmed during the filming of the movie. I hope but it wasn't one no of the animals turtles. Were actually harmed. No, not one of the turtles. But on the topic of the turtles, the turtles' names, you might have noticed, are Church and Zoe. Uh-huh. Based after Church the cat in Pet Cemetery and <gasps> Zoe the dog in Pet Cemetery 2. Oh, I love that. Right? So fun. Although both um, animals do not have great outcomes in those films. No. I mean, Leslie says in the movie, I only keep pets that I can eat. Yeah, I hated that. That's like one of my least favorite lines. But then again, it's like, it ties back in because they tell you like, oh, well, he was probably eaten by turtles when he fell over the cliff. But then in theory, it's like, well, if he survived that fall, how did he survive down there for so long? And it was like, well, he probably ate turtles. Yeah, I don't like it. So, I mean, I don't know that he's necessarily saying that, like, he's actively, you know, getting ready to cook these turtles and eat them. I'm more so just, like, I want pets that if it came down to it, I could eat them. Right. That's what I, I'd like to go with that. Um, anyhow, Taylor, our, our leading lady, at the beginning of the movie is standing in front, in front of a pub called Red Rabbit Pub, which is a reference to the Red Rabbit matchbook found by Dr. Loomis in Halloween. Oh, Okay. Never would have picked um, up on that. There's a lot of these that I was like, t- I mean, maybe, maybe I would have picked up on it, but I didn't. So thank you for telling me. <laughs> um, when they interview Eugene and his wife, who we will we'll discuss all of this, but he's like Leslie's mentor, like a retired slasher. Um, there is a lament configuration puzzle box from Hellraiser sitting on the table. Cool. Um... When Leslie takes Taylor to um, meet Eugene and his wife, uh, the car that is parked in the driveway is the same color, make, and model as Sam Raimi's car that he uses in his movies, a la The Evil Dead. Um, When Leslie takes Taylor and the gang to a high school so they can scout out, or he can show them how he scouts out picking out a quote survivor girl, which is a final girl, in the background or over to the side, you can spot three girls playing jump rope, which is a reference to A Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there, there's so many of these. I only have a few more, but I'm sure I'm, there, there's probably some that I'm also missing. Oh, sure. Um, uh, Robert Englund, who in, outstanding horror icon. Uh, for those of you who may not know, he plays Freddy Krueger. Um, he is in this movie. Um, he, his name in the movie is Doc Holleran, which is a mashup of Doc, which is Danny's nickname in The Shining, and Dick Holleran, who is the cook from The Shining, so a mashup of their names, and Jamie, which I believe is, oh god, who is Jamie? Is that his wife? Uh, yeah. yeah, okay, Jamie is the old, is Eugene's wife is a reference to Jamie Lee Curtis, who obviously was a huge scream queen. Um, Leslie's name, Leslie Vernon, it is revealed in the movie that that's not his real last name. His real last name is Mancuso. Um, And Frank Mancuso Jr. was the producer of most of the Friday the 13th movies. Mm -hmm. And I think that's all that I have. I mean, I wish that I had more juicy set, you know details but one there aren't that many and secondly I was not doing a deep dive because um I did this research at about two in the morning last night 
that's fine. It's such a small film, I feel like. I mean, even with Castle Freak, I really had to, like, dig really, really far to try to find any kind of information. And it Mm -hmm. was really not even about the film itself. So sometimes they just don't really have much to go with. I think I like what you did. I mean, it's very much a film that is centered around its references. And it's Mm -hmm. really, like, I feel like it cares a lot about just making note of, like, other horror films and like paying homage to them so that i mean i obviously picked up on the obvious ones but those are fun things i didn't think about so thank you very fun you're welcome i mean i think that's something that i love about this film is just i'm in general like and i know that some people it doesn't work for them and i get it and they're just like oh my god get come up with something original and i can be that way sometimes too but i i essentially i love anything that like directly caters to my interests mm-hmm. which is why i love like my favorite kind of documentaries are documentaries that are about like the makings of films because mm-hmm. i love film i specifically love documentaries that are about the makings of either a specific film that i love or a genre that i love i mean that's why the like whatever how long it is like three plus hours or some shit um in search of darkness documentary i sat down and i watched that in one sitting that's a good movie i didn't take a break like i was like yeah give it to me and not to shit on that documentary at all because I think it's great, but, like, nothing about it is outstanding. Like, it's not, like, this groundbreaking thing. It literally is just them going through year by year in the 80s talking about horror. But I because love that it's, shit, though. Right. So I think with this shit in general, and, I mean, obviously we both fucking love Scream. Who the fuck doesn't love – if you don't like Scream, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast. Take yourself <laughs> somewhere else. Um – but because obviously like for so many reasons but a huge reason as well is because like it's the meta horror movie it is like nothing is ever going to compete or compare Mm -hmm. so i mean this obviously doesn't come close to scream nothing could but i think any movie where i'm like it's clearly made by people that love the genre that respect the genre like at least that's how it reads to me i or i already like i'm going into it with like open arms and open heart and I feel like at that point, it's going to take a lot for me to not walk away and enjoy it. So where would you like to start with our discussion of Behind the Mask? Because I know you have a lot you wanted to talk about. Um, as I, do I. Yes. Um, oh, boy. I mean, I guess I would like to start with just the style of the film. Mm-hmm. So for me, a mockumentary can be very hit or miss. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, going into it, especially with a low-budget film, you know that the quality of it is not going to be, you know, top-notch because you are watching footage of something. Um, So I think that was a big part of, you know, why maybe I wasn't as invested just because it visually didn't really hold my attention much. And I feel like when it would jump back into kind of just a, a regular narrative where we're inside the slasher film essentially we're with them we're no longer following through their camera i i I felt like i enjoyed it a lot more and then when it would go back to the their camera i was just like oh okay back to this like i would have just preferred as as boring as it sounds because i think that what they're doing is very creative and very original but i would have just rather just watch like a straightforward slasher film about him than like a behind the scenes I don't know, I feel like he's less scary when you get to, like, see him, like, neurotically planning things and, like, laughing and being weird. Like, I just don't find him frightening. And I I feel like it's a weird thing to, like, imagine, like, Michael Myers doing that. I feel like it takes away from the, I don't know, just the frightening, like, image of them with their mask and their weapon and 
you know, because it, it humanizes them. I know who he is as a person, so he, I don't find him really frightening anymore. Oh my god, bitch! That is the hottest take. Really? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I have a lot to say in response to that. Good, I go think for it's it. so interesting from the start that, and I you obviously already addressed this that you prefer when it's shot just like a regular two thousand slasher. Mm-hmm. Um. Because for me, it's the absolute opposite. I, I in general, we, we know that I love found footage horror. It's one mm-hmm. of my favorite subgenres of the horror genre, and a mockumentary really falls into that category. Um, so in general, I'm always partial to that. But I think, yeah, I think that is what makes the movie unique is the fact that we are following this documentary crew. And it's so interesting to me that you're saying like, you know, it doesn't make him scary because I think that's the point. I think the point is, I mean, it's a horror comedy for sure. This is meant to, like, make you laugh and be ridiculous. I've never found this to be something that was ever meant to scare you, even in the scenes when it is shot, like a 2000 slasher. I never perceived this as something that was supposed to scare me. I, I literally think this is a movie made for horror fans. And I think it's a great movie, too, if, like, you have a friend that maybe isn't into the horror genre maybe wants to give it a try, or maybe you, you, you really want to watch a, a, scare, uh, a horror movie with them, but you can't do anything extreme. I think this is perfect because it, it like, is teaching them about the genre. Well, also, like, it's never really scary. There isn't a lot of, like, blood or gore in this movie at all. I think the whole point is that you're getting a glimpse into this guy who, like, is just a normal dude, which makes it almost funnier. And I think for a huge majority of the movie, until he starts killing people... You're like, is this guy unhinged? Like, are they just, like, kind of, like, following around this guy? Like, sure, buddy, you're going to be the next Michael Myers. As he's just, like, you know, showing them his pet turtles and shit like that. And then even then, when he starts killing people, I feel like it becomes then, like, okay, clearly this guy is killing people. But maybe he, once again, is just, I mean, he's trying to sell this fucking story that he's this, in theory, this supernatural killer. But I think through the mockumentary element of it, you realize that's not true because, one, you find out that in reality his last name isn't Vernon. He's actually from fucking Nevada or Las Vegas or what the fuck ever. Um, he's, like, lo- he's essentially, like, sort of like an escaped mental patient, which obviously is very Michael Myers. But he, he, his backstory, the whole thing about, like, killing his parents, being thrown over a cliff is not true. He just adopted that and made that shit up. To create his own legend. And when you see him going through and like, you know, setting things up to his advantage, whether it be like nailing windows shut and shit like that, you kind of realize that like, this guy isn't this supernatural big entity like somebody like Michael, Jason, Freddie, Chucky, the people he emulates. Like he is this fanboy that like, he's putting in a lot of work. It, it's, it's very interesting because it makes you think like, okay... But then you start to question, like, so in this universe where those guys exist for real, are they doing the same shit as Leslie, like, making stuff up, planting evidence so that everybody buys it? Or is Leslie just this extreme fanboy who is trying to emulate them? And I think that's what's really interesting about this. So I agree in the fact that no part of this movie ever struck me as scary, which I think I could say about a lot of horror movies because obviously to a certain degree you become a little desensitized to them when you watch so many. But it also never struck me as something that was meant to be outwardly scary. More so it was just meant to be an appreciation of the genre and openly like 
poking fun and laughing at it. Well, I you know, in a loving way. I think it's really interesting because I also disagree with you in a little bit of that because I feel like okay, because this is a movie that is made for horror fans, I don't personally think that this would be a movie I would want to show somebody who doesn't really know horror because I think a lot of it would go over their head and they wouldn't really get the tongue and cheekness of it. I think it would just come across as like a poorly acted kind of boring movie for people who like don't understand the references or don't like get the tropes that they're playing on Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah I I agree it's not scary at all but no shade I also don't think it's very funny and so okay I if I don't know I feel like if you're gonna do a horror comedy I need it to either be scary or funny and it really for me didn't really do much of either Um, I think it like again I said I think it had really good ideas I like all of I think I like the last half an hour of the film Mm -hmm. far more than I like anything else in it but it's not enough for me to be like oh yeah I want to show this to everyone I know damn okay well we'll definitely get into the humor stuff mm-hmm. but I do think when I say like showing someone isn't a horror fan I definitely wouldn't show this to somebody that like I'm not talking and I'm I don't know that you're saying this either but like I wouldn't show this to somebody where they'd never seen a horror movie before Right. Like, unless they're talking about that and more so, like, I'm talking about, like, your average person. Like, somebody that, like, they've okay. seen some horror movies. Maybe it's just, like, they, it's not their thing or whatever. And or they have a basic – like, I feel like slashers are, like, the easiest thing. Like, like people know that. Oh, yeah. I feel like people know the basic slasher tropes, especially in a post-Scream universe. We all know the fucking slasher tropes. Um so I feel like having a basic understanding of that, you could enjoy this film. I mean, obviously there are deeper, more specific references like I talked about in the beginning, which, I mean, a lot of that could just be like you just not spotting something on camera. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- I, I stand by what I say in that, like, <laughs> obviously as a horror fan, I think that it is enjoyable. And I think that, I mean... In reality, if someone was like, I want to test out the waters with horror, I don't think my first move is like, let me show you behind the mask. <laughs> the rest will be I don't know. In. I feel like you might. Um, I mean, maybe. I do love this movie and I think it's fun. And it's like a tight 90 around there. It's it not is, long at all. Um, I would definitely, like, I'm the crazy bitch that's like, oh my god, you want to start watching horror? Sit down. We're going to watch John Carpenter's The Thing, bitch. Like, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Um, because, of course, as a horror fan, you're like, I want to show you the best of the best. Mm-hmm. Um. But more so this is something that, like, I don't know. I don't really know the context in which I'd be like, let's put this on. But it is something that it is in my library of things that I would be willing and happy to show somebody, horror fan or not. And I think I could force them to enjoy it. Um, all right. So, um, and speaking of being a horror fan, we have to point out that I, I kind of brought it up at the beginning, but, like, very similar to, you know, Hatchet and things like that. There are many a horror icon in this movie. I have, have something to say about the horror icons for sure. So please, I am excited okay. to talk about Oh my about goodness. This. She has shit to say. I do. Um, well, you have um, Kane Hodder, who mm-hmm. is, uh, he plays, funny enough, he plays, uh, Oh my god, Victor Crowley, as I just said in Hatchet, but is more well known for playing Jason Voorhees in several of the Friday the 13th films. Um, you have Robert Englund, who I've talked about, who obviously is mostly known for doing Freddy Krueger, but he has made appearances in many a horror film. I think he also has a cameo on like Supernatural at some point. I mean, iconic. Um, you have Zelda Rubenstein, who, 
live for this bitch. If you guys don't know, Zelda Rubenstein is the wonderful lady who comes to cleanse the house in Poltergeist. Mrs. This house is clean. Um, love that bitch. And then you have Scott Wilson, who I personally know him from The Walking Dead. Yes. But he is in other things such as Exorcist 3, The Host, uh, things like that. So, and I guess I think I read that he did this movie because Robert Englund, who I guess is his friend, told him to do it. Um, and I think he's great in this movie. So, yeah, definitely many a horror icon. Also, not a horror icon before you get into what you want to say about that, but... The lead girl in this movie, Miss Taylor. I don't know if you recognize her. I remember the first time I watched this, I was like, why do I know this bitch's face? I've definitely never seen her in anything. How do I know this bitch? I for sure have because she is one of Kevin McAllister from Home Alone. Mm -hmm. One of his siblings in the movie. She is the one that goes, you're what the French call les incompetents. Um, literally iconic. (laughs) Um... So tell me, what are your thoughts on these horror icons? I want to know. I want to know. Well, okay. For the most part, uh, Mm -hmm. I have positive feelings. I mean, I am obsessed with Zelda. I think she is fucking amazing. I would have loved a lot more of her in this film. Um, I also, you know, Kane Hodder had a very brief appearance, and I was like, ah. I like to clock, like, the small, very brief cameos, because I feel like they're more Mm -hmm. meaningful when they're just, like, there. And you're like, oh, shit, that's that person. Um, My two issues... One of them is more so plot-wise, and... Okay, I'll start with the smaller one. Scott Wilson playing a past, like, a legendary slasher named Mm -hmm. Eugene. I feel like if you're going to make... I don't know. This is just a personal thing, and I completely understand anybody who disagrees. But I just feel like if you're going to make a movie set in this universe where, like, all of these iconic people that we already know exist, I would have preferred the retired person to be someone that I know. To be, Mm -hmm. like, an actor who played, like, I don't know, like, Robert England being, like, oh, yeah, I'm, like, I don't know. That wouldn't work, obviously, but, you know, I don't know. I feel like I would have preferred to know who Eugene was and, like, his history instead of just being, like, oh, it's just this, like, random white dude who is, you know, also iconic, but I don't know him. So I, I was kind of just, like, I felt that was a little disappointing. But my main issue, and this is just a personal thing. It happens a lot in films and people don't seem to really care. But I fucking hate when I just think I just don't like that Robert England is in this film. Because if you're going to set your film in a universe where Freddy Krueger exists, Robert England cannot also exist in it. Because if you take one fucking look at Robert England, you know that's Freddy Krueger. Yeah, he has prosthetics on that to make him be burned and, you know, horrible. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, you can still tell that that's Robert England underneath all that makeup. You know, that makeup on anybody else does not look like it does on Robert England. And so mm-hmm. I just, like, I don't like that. It's, like, the same thing in The Sopranos where, like, they always talk about Goodfellas and, like, four people in The Fucking Sopranos are in The Goodfellas. And I just find it so fucking annoying because how can you have this icon be a real person but then you also have Robert England in it? It just, like, bothers me. I don't like it. If he's if he, if he Freddy Krueger exists, then he is Freddy Krueger. He is not Doc Holleran. It's just, like... A very annoying thing to me and I get that it's probably not an issue for most people but mm-hmm. I just like it's just the logic of the universe doesn't work for me if you put him in the movie interesting you are full of these hot takes bitch I just I just feel it strongly it's like a I feel it anytime it happens in the movie and like the second Robert England popped up I was like oh, okay sure but no it doesn't make sense 
I want to address the two things. I don't disagree with you about the thing with uh, Scott, what's his name? Sorry, I'm not. Scott Wilson. I literally should know his last name. I just said it. Scott Wilson. Um, about him playing an ex slasher. I don't disagree. I think at that point, it's like you have such big names in this movie. Mm-hmm. Why not make it, you know, someone else big especially because then like maybe I mean I know that I said earlier that like kind of having that like ambiguity of like okay so if Leslie does shit this way and he's kind of these like new age slashers that they're talking about with Freddie and Michael or whatever like you know these people that you know launch themselves into legend territory if you make one of them like the ex-slasher that's coaching him then maybe that will like answer some of those questions I guess like, okay, like, if it's, like, Kane Hodder playing an ex-Jason Voorhees. Mm. And I feel like you could go even smaller than that. I mean, you could do... Oh, yeah. You could do really anything. I just feel like having... Just, I feel like it was a, a a bit of a letdown because you had such a cool opportunity to have even more references to, like, some other series or, like, big film and you just didn't do anything with it. But, you know, that could just come down to budgeting stuff, too, I guess. Right, and I mean, to to its favor at the same time, like, obviously this guy is so old and he's talking about, like, slashers in the 60s and the 70s, where it w- was just, like, these, like, if you think about slasher movies from the 60s and 70s, you didn't have big franchise heavy hitters like Jason or Freddy or whoever. You had, like, you know, shit where it was, like, one movie and this kind of faceless slasher for most of the movie, and that was it. Yeah, I but I feel and like you repeat. Could, I feel like you could do so much with that. Like he could be the killer from like the town that dreaded sundown and like you never see his face. So you can really have any actor do it, but you could just then speak about it. Well, I saw and I don't know. I saw it a few places, so I'm I mean, I'm assuming that the director or someone from the movie in some interview somewhere said it, but at the same time it's like, well, it doesn't do any favors if we don't know that. Is apparently he was supposed to be the older brother of the killer from um Black Christmas, Billy. I almost said that. Something about Black Christmas. But, like, yeah, you have to tell me that. I can't just... Well, even so, it's just, like... No, I agree completely. Like, we don't know that when we're watching. There's nothing, as far as I can remember, that would make me think that. And even beyond that, like, why would not just be Billy? Right. Why is it the older brother of Billy? So, yeah, I completely agree on that front. Um, As for the Robert Englund stuff... I see where you're coming from, but I think a huge part of this is, and once again, like maybe for some people that doesn't work, but it's one of those things where it's like, if you go into this movie, and I'm not saying it's what you did, but like if you go into the movie and you're just like trying to make complete sense and perfect logic of everything, you will find flaws. Like you just will. I mean, it is what it is. And I think something like this where it's like, yes, they mentioned Freddy Krueger as being this huge icon. He exists for real in this universe. And then, you know, you have Robert Englund then playing somebody that is not Freddy Krueger. As a horror fan, it, get, it can be frustrating because you're like, well, that's Freddy Krueger. I know it's Freddy Krueger. But I think it's one, it's like you just have to like suspend the disbelief because of the fact that we're not seeing pictures of Freddy Krueger in the film. It's not like they're showing us a headshot of Freddy Krueger and then the next scene in whilst Robert Englund is somebody else where you're like, well, Jesus. So, and also, to be fair, like, if you think about it in the Nightmare on Elm Street universe, in the movie in which Freddy exists in real life is New Nightmare. And it's still played by Robert Englund, but, like, he looks different to a certain degree. Like, he looks scarier, so, like, you could, I guess, 
propose that as like, well, in this universe where Freddy is real, he doesn't look like Robert Englund. We don't know that because we never see any of these big bads. You just go on your previous knowledge of them. Yeah. But I guess in in helping yourself suspend your disbelief, you could believe that. I just don't want to. (laughs) Right. So you're just being difficult. Well, I just, for this kind of, this is like a very specific thing that just bothers me and I don't feel like I should have to do that. Um, I feel like a new nightmare it's different because the films exist and in this film they're not films they're reality so Mm -hmm. i think i think that's the difference for those movies in my mind i mean i get it they wanted to have robert england in the film that's amazing that's great i just in that case would have preferred that freddy krueger wasn't a real person in the movie but it's a very small note i have that just you know it doesn't make me dislike the film it just annoyed me in in the moment Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I do want to say that I love the character archetype that he's playing, the Ahab, as they call him. I was surprised which obviously... they didn't call him, like, the Loomis. Well, I think that comes from the fact that it's, like, in real life, like, we, I feel like a lot of times, like, when we name things or reference things, we are referencing things from, like, pop culture almost. Mm-hmm. For us, we would obviously say, like, oh, yeah, that's, like, a Dr. Loomis figure. Right. But in their universe, in theory, Dr. Loomis exists. He's a real person. That's Michael Myers' Ahab. Because, obviously, Ahab, they're referring to right. Moby Dick. Um, so, I, I, I understand. I mean, you can protest the fact that they call it fucking Survivor Girl in this movie, which is something that irks me. Yeah, I don't like that either. I'm like, it's a fucking final girl! Um, yeah, but whatever, like, like the, I'm not gonna get worked up. I feel like the Ahab thing just bothers me because, like, I understand exactly the reference, but a closer reference to a, a captain and a whale would be a slasher and the doctor. So, it's like a mirror image, so I feel like they should just call it his Loomis instead of his Ahab. I don't know. Again, just but like, I think that's what I'm saying. It's just like I get it. They're they're all their Ahabs. I get that. Because what would Michael Myers call Doctor Loomis? He wouldn't say Doctor Loomis is my Loomis. Right. No, I get Doctor Loomis is his Ahab. Yeah. So if Michael came first, and let's say in theory in this universe, Michael's just like Leslie, and he's just fucking living a normal life on his off hours, he would call Doctor Loomis his Ahab, and right. thus make that an industry term for the I guess. slashers. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love Robert Englund, regardless of if you feel irked or not anybody about him also being Freddy Krueger. I think he's really fun in this role. I mean, he's playing the Dr. Loomis perfectly. Um, which, then when you think about it, I mean, it always comes back to Nightmare with this. Because he's also playing, I mean, if you think about it, like, Dr. Loomis is an example of this. Even somebody like Nancy, once you get to Nightmare 3... She's almost like a Dr. Loomis character because she comes back. She knows all about Freddy. She's protecting the dream warriors from him. Yeah, absolutely. You have Tommy Jarvis. A little less so just because Tommy Jarvis has a whole fucking, like, storyline where, like, he thinks he's Jason and he's, like, unhinged. (laughs) But, you know, he's a recurring character that comes back trying to stop Jason. He knows more than everybody else. He's trying to protect everybody else. So I like that it's a character where it's obviously very clearly a Dr. Loomis ripoff, Mm -hmm. intentionally so. But these other big bads that, you know, they're presenting as examples that Leslie wants to follow in the footsteps of, they have similar characters as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love this conversation we're having. I love this disagreement. <laughs> I feel like this is going to be a lot more, so bring up a Great. Topic. Well, something I love about this movie 
you know, one of the many things I love about this movie is I, I love that it, I think it's so, and it just goes back to the whole meta thing, that in this universe, slashing is an industry. It's a business. It's a trade that you have. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they refer to it as the business of fear. Because obviously in this movie, Taylor's character is flying them around. She's studying them. She's doing like her thesis or whatever because she's a grad student on this. Um, and she's trying to understand, especially I feel like when things start to get real, you know, like why would you do this? Like, you know, because when you see them in their home settings, especially when they go and visit Eugene and his wife and they are this like, just like this older happy couple, it seems like, you know, they're like chopping vegetables in the kitchen, making sausages on the grill, like very, you know, suburban and sweet. You, you wonder like, or she wonders, you know, so you, your career is killing people and they have to break it down for her where it's like, you know, we're not psychos. We're not out here, you know, out of bloodlust. We're fulfilling, you know, a societal need, a, you know, a, a universal need because, you know, in the universe there has to be a balance of good and bad. And for there to be good, they have to what? They have to like battle bad. So we're taking that on. You know, we're doing a service of being the bad guys, which then throughout the film then begins to present this thing which is presented and probably discussed in much literature and shit about slasher films, especially women in horror, in which, especially specifically we'll talk with Leslie's journey, in which his journey in theory is to, or he claims, is to empower his survivor girl. He will never be happier than when she, and this is a whole sequence, uses he his, his direct quote when he's telling Taylor like this is the plan for the evening and he's talking about all this symbolism which if you've read like any like I feel like thesis paper on like horror and slasher you've probably seen this shit where they talk about like oh the symbolism of like it's this to me was funny like when he's talking about like um if someone's in the closet we can't get them. And she's like, what? Why? And he's like, well, we have a code of ethics and the closet is a sacred place. It's a symbol of the womb. Um, which then her response is she goes, so you're pro-life. Um, mm-hmm. But I just think it's really interesting because like his whole thing is just, his his purpose in life is to empower this girl. He then goes on to say very like, you know, chauvinistic shit like, well, she's empowering herself with my cock. Mm-hmm. Or a symbol of my cock, which I think is them poking fun at that shit. Yeah. I didn't take it as them being like, yeah, this. Because you look at Leslie and you're like, this guy's a fucking idiot. Um, but I don't know if you had thoughts on that as a whole. Just the way that they approached slashers in, in a universe in which they're real. Yeah, so I think that that whole concept is what I like about the movie. I think... Mm-hmm. You know, the business of fear and the fact that, you know, they're not like serial killers. They're not like a Ted Bundy or a John Wayne Gacy, you know, who have this, you know, sociopathy and they need to kill people. It's more just Mm -hmm. like, well, you know, there needs to be a balance. There needs to be the bad people and the good people. And, you know, especially because they put themselves knowingly in a position where they might get killed and they're, it's kind of like their art almost, where they're like, yeah, "Yeah, I'm totally fine with doing this because – in their mind it needs to be done um and Mm -hmm. i think that that's very very interesting and i think you know i think a lot of the scenes with eugene are 
probably some of the stronger scenes because you kind of get into the ethics and the politics behind what they're doing and why they're doing it. I just wish that there was more of it. Um, I also had an issue throughout the film with Taylor's motivations. I don't really Mm -hmm. buy her motivations at all of like, I'm a grad student and I'm doing this thesis paper or this thesis documentary on, you know, the next big slasher because once it gets down to the nitty gritty and she realizes that, oh, he has actually killed these people and he's going to continue to kill them, then she all of a sudden gets like a moral compass. And I'm just like, what did you expect? Like you went into this knowing that either he is a psycho who is going to kill people or, you know, in his mind, he's very rational or he's just like, you know, some idiot who's just going to string you along. And in in either situation, how is that something that you want to be involved in? And also after he kills the librarian, you've already understood that he has now killed somebody and he's going to continue to do it. So I don't I don't really I don't know. I just find her motivations very confusing to me. Um, I feel mm-hmm. like his motivations are very clear and very, you know, laid on the table for you like this is why I'm doing this this is how I'm going to do this but she fell a little flat in comparison for me because if you're gonna have a conscious about it why would it happen in the third act and not earlier or before you even took on the project do you have thoughts on that yeah I mean I have a lot of thoughts on this um well I think for once again it goes back to I get what you're saying. Like, once again, if you go in and you're like, what, you know, really trying to analyze what would make this girl do this? Like, okay, maybe, yeah, from the beginning she thought it was all bullshit. But then it's like, yeah, when he kills librarian, you know what the fuck is up and she's still doing it. I think, once again, that plays into an element of the comedy of the film. Just, like, this desperate grad student who, like, has to, you know, decide between, like, okay, well, I put all my fucking eggs in this basket. What am I going to do? Fucking abandon this project? Like, and on the other side of that, it's like, people are fucking getting killed. Right. Like, so I think that plays into the of the comedy. But some other things is that, strangely enough, you know, we're, we're recording this a day after Valentine's Day, but it's coming out in March. This is, in a way, its own strange love story between Leslie and Taylor. No. Because here's <laughs> the fucking twist, y'all. No, bitch, don't fucking no. laugh at me. I'll kill you. Um, the twist for anyone that's listening that whatever, it doesn't fucking matter, is that the entire time when he's pointed out, this is my survivor girl, these are her friends, this is how I'm going to kill them, was never the intention. Taylor was always her, his survivor girl. She realizes this in the, like, the last, you know, 20 minutes of the film, when she realizes from the jump, that's why he let her interview him and all this shit. Like, he's, he's within this, the movie is a meta horror film, but even within their universe, he's having a meta moment by letting his, we'll call it a final girl, because that's what it's really meant to be called. Mm-hmm. Like, he's letting his final girl get close to him, see everything he's going to do to her, set her up essentially in a weird way for success, but she doesn't even realize it. Like, and there are mo- there is a moment in the film in which he's, like, putting on his, like, grease paint, which is, like, mixed with, like, fucking fire retardant or some shit. And she looks at him and she's like, because she still thinks this other bitch is the fucking survivor girl. She's like, you love her, don't you? And he's like, oh, well, I, I love the idea of her. And, like, this is when he, it's more or so, you know, the same shit of him being, like, I want her to be empowered. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I love the idea of, like, how she will emerge from this, like, a girl into a woman. 
and I stuff love that like that's that. His decision to do that, though. Would you say? I love that he feels like he needs to be the person who like makes her a woman. But I think that's something that's really, really funny about this film, which is what I was bringing up before. It's just like, especially in the sequence when he's, before they get to actually doing it, he's breaking down the whole night of like how he's going to kill everybody. Mm-hmm. In which, you know, he's saying the shit where he gets into like the symbol of like, oh, you know, the closet is the womb, which is like, could just be funny. But then he's talking later about like, oh, when she runs through the apple orchard, can you guess what that is? It's like the birthing canal. When she comes out the other side, she'll be this woman. And like the big scene is obviously when he's talking about he wants her to go into the shed and arm herself with a weapon because it will be arming herself with a, a phallic symbol. Right. You know, using my cock to empower herself, which I think is something that, especially in early slashers, you can see where it's just like, oh, this symbolism, or even if it's not really there, you know, people trying to pull from that. Being like, oh, this girl into a woman thing and she empowers herself. And it's just like, sex can be very empowering for a woman. But at the end of the day, like, her empowerment comes from what she wants it to be. The idea that, like, men empower women is such horseshit. And I feel like that's... Like, through representations of men or actions of men. Literally, yes. And I feel like this is kind of poking fun. I mean, like, you have Taylor sitting on the opposite side of the camera of him being like... Okay, so you're a chauvinist. Right. Um, which then in turn, like, it's one of those things where it's like, which I, I appreciate to a certain degree. It's like, listen, they're, the people that are making this are men, mm-hmm. like the filmmakers. So, like, I'm sure that they, I mean, at, the, at a base level, they probably didn't know what the fuck they were doing when it comes to, like, ri- writing a feminist piece, a, flem- a feminist slasher piece. I feel like they're doing, you know, they're addressing it as much as they, they want to. Of like, yeah, we get that, like, that's kind of laughable, the, these ideas. But then obviously in turn, the whole thing with the movie is like, for as meta as it is, and for however much he's already laid out, like, oh, these are the typical beats of a slasher film, that's exactly what ends up playing out. Mm-hmm. Which I appreciate, because at the end of the day, as a horror fan too, like, we could sit here and we do sometimes, like, criticize the genre and things that we see over and over again. But at the end of the day, like, some of it is just like, yeah, but that is what it is. Like, if I just suddenly decided, like, I'm not going to watch any any slasher movies that have been made that do this kind of shit, I would be depriving myself of so many incredible slasher movies, you know? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, going forward, do we need more of that shit? No. Y'all fucking know better now. But I'm not going to deprive myself of, like, so many years of, like, chef's kiss horror cinema based on this shit and I feel like that's kind of what's happening here where it's like yeah we know that shit's a problem but also at the end of the day that shit's fun so we're gonna play out the rest of the movie like that but I also you brought up that um you know Leslie's intentions from the beginning in the whole thing about like Taylor um why would she fall for this or whatever um and his intentions are clear from the beginning. But obviously with the twist, that's a whole thing as well, which I have found on repeat viewings becomes more enjoyable for me, which I think can be true of kind of a lot of movies that have a good twist or whatever, is that the first time you're watching it, and like I guess if you're going in and you're really trying to find something, like you'll find it, you'll figure it out. When I first watched this, I literally was just like, oh, it's like a fun spoof, right? I wasn't looking for, like, a twist, and thus I was like, oh, my God, of course. When it happened, I was like, oh, my God, so smart, so good. Mm-hmm. And then on repeat viewings, there's just, like, so many things that are, like, said along the way that you're – that, like, once you know what's coming, I feel like I'm like, oh, 
yes, there it is. Because Leslie in front of her will never outwardly say anything that will give his plan away because he is stringing her along to get to the point he wants her to um, until the final moment when it's her decision. And she has to, you know, choose what happens because, like, when he's with Eugene and his wife, before they leave, Eugene's like, oh, we didn't get to talk. Like, you know, how's that thing you're working on going? And Leslie's like, oh, you know, she's coming along. And they never explicitly say the name of the supposed survivor girl. Right. So in theory, it's like they're talking about Taylor. Um, And he even says to him, Eugene's like, oh, you've got a red herring. Which Mm -hmm. they then go on to talk about like, you know, oh, the library plan and blah, blah, blah. But in theory, it's like the red herring is this other survivor girl. Yeah, because I remember watching it and being like, that's not really what a red herring is. So I was confused, but then when mm-hmm. yeah, when the twist comes, it makes a lot more sense. I do agree. I really like the twist. I think yeah. it adds an extra layer to it, especially because, like I said, I think the last 30 minutes is the strongest for me because he mm-hmm. does walk through his like entire plan step by step, and then you get to see it actually happening. And, you know, the attention to detail, the, you know, the logic that goes into it, the planning, I think it's really creative and fun. It's really fun to watch. And then, you know, the fact that he then, he essentially created a fake plan within his real plan, which just adds to like the level of intellect in it. So I think it's, like I've said it a few times, but I think it's a very smart, very well thought out film. I wish that like visually it came together the way that I think it it should. And that's why I think that the comic book, honestly, would Mm -hmm. probably be fucking dope because... Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I think it would be amazing. But I've lost my train of thought. But I like the twist. <laughs> but yes, but in the same... Sorry, I'm sure people listening to this, like, we're, like, literally just, like, non-stopping, like, going from one thing to another yeah. and, like, never actually answering any of our questions. But that's you know us. what? <laughs> literally, that's what you signed up for. Um, but um, kind of a similar topic going off of that mm-hmm. is is how smart Leslie actually is. Yeah. Um, because, like, from the beginning, he's this goofy guy. You look at him and you would never be like, oh, he's, like, one of these, like, heavy hitter killers. Because he doesn't look scary. He's not, like, hulking or menacing. He is an, a normal-looking guy. Um, and he is being silly. Like, he's cracking jokes. He's getting, like, giddy and excited when things go his way. But, yeah, when the ending comes together and you realize Taylor was the fucking survivor girl the whole time... And you realize that, like, when she thinks she's helping these other people and fucking up his plan, he's already accounted for all of that. Mm -hmm. He was planning and hoping she would do that because it played into his plan perfectly. You're like, oh, my God. And even so, like, there's a great scene when they're going around. And um, where is it? I I wrote it down. Um, Oh, my God. She, he's like, um... He's essentially showing her how he's setting up the house. Like, he's um, nailing the window shut or whatever. And, like, in these moments, too, it's, like, a lot of good, like, meta commentary because, like, he's like, oh, I nailed the window shut. And she's like, well, wouldn't they just smash out the windows? He's like, you would think, but no, they don't. And if they do, it's on the second floor, um, which is very funny. Um, And then that happens. But then she says to him, she's like, it seems like you're cheating. And he's like, you know, I'm at this severe disadvantage. Which, in theory, could be, like, because, like, oh, I have to take out all these people. But then the, the double meaning of it is because I'm at this severe disadvantage because what I'm doing right now is I'm telling my survivor girl how I'm doing everything. 
I'm giving everything away to her, you, Taylor, and you don't even realize it yet. But when you do, like, you will have that advantage, but also not because I've already accounted for you knowing this. It's just, like, layers to it. There's a line that he says earlier on. I wish I had wrote down the exact context of it, but it's, like, when he's, like, telling his backstory or something and, like, making a bunch of shit up. And he has this line where he's, like, well, a lot of, and he's talking about, like, him and, like, fellow slashers in the community. And he's, like, well, a lot of what we use is CGI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just so it's funny to me because, like, the, um, he makes the fake newspaper clipping. You're so right, yeah. Because he's, they're like, oh my god, you like just made that. He's like, well, a lot of what we use is CGI, and it's just so funny to me because, like, it once again presents that idea of like, okay, is Michael Myers doing all this shit to Miss Jamie Lee, like, or is it just Leslie? Mm-hmm. And I think not knowing that, and then in turn, the ending, in which spoiler, obviously. She defeats Leslie. She kills him with this apple grinder and then sets the barn on fire that he's in. And then over the end credits, which I think is chef's kiss again, they play fucking the talking head psycho killer. Such a good fucking song. Mm -hmm. But it's this like black and white like security camera footage of like the morgue where like Leslie's body is. And like whatever, what the fuck do you call him? A mortician or whatever. Um, somebody in scrubs or some shit is in the room with him and while the song and the credits are playing Leslie like slowly like sits up and you realize and he looks all burnt but he's like still alive so then there's this out this moment of like oh my god is he having his Michael Myers moment where like you didn't realize it but he was supernatural the whole time but I don't think so because of the fact that he mentions earlier on that the shit he covers himself in is fire retardant yeah Thus, that would allow him, in theory, if he got out in time to survive the barn burning. But then you could wonder, okay, what with the apple crusher, how did he not die? You know, getting his skull crushed. But then there's also the the idea that, like, we saw him going around and altering everything, right, right, to his advantage. Like, sawing off tree limbs so they would break if someone landed on them. You know, nailing the window shut, this, that, the other thing. Who's to say, I mean, yeah, he showed all that to Taylor, but as we know, he had another plan upon a plan. He didn't go in and tamper with the apple crusher. I feel like that's even more evidence for that he did because he actively showed her, like, oh, this is going to probably come into, you know, play at some point tonight and be used. So he put into her head the idea to use it. So, of course, yeah, he could easily make it so that, like, while she thinks it's tightening, it's actually, like, very loose and he's just, like, acting. Yeah, absolutely. But it's so, yeah, and then going back, I know I brought this up, I feel like, briefly, but, like, the love story thing, in my head, like, obviously there was the blatant comment of her being like, oh, you love, essentially, your survivor girl, don't you? And him being like, I don't know, lol. And then they have a moment where they're sitting in the barn, like, uh, on, like, the second level, like, kind of looking out over everything, or they're sitting somewhere up top, and they're, like, literally holding hands, and there's this moment where, like, it's very intimate, And even when the plan starts going and, like, Taylor's finally having her breaking moment where she's like, I cannot be a part of this. And he, like, takes them outside and he, like, says goodbye to them. She's, like, pleading with him. She's like, please don't do this. You know, like, you know, there's still time to stop. And he's like, no, like, I, I chose this. Which I think presents an interesting thing. And a theory, I guess, you could implement on any slasher movie where it's like in these slasher movies where there's a slasher and he's going after this final girl and you know as Leslie says you have to kill anyone in your way all her friends is like are they these like in I guess 
if you really are stretching the meaning of a love story, these really fucked up love stories where these slashers have these hyper fixations on one girl. I mean, you even think about shit like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. When Spike, his hatred for Buffy turns into this obsession and this love for her. Like, it's fucked up. It's toxic. He, he fucking gaslights this bitch throughout the whole film because there's one point when he literally says to her when she's like getting upset and he's like, how could you think this is about you? Mm-hmm. Which, like, it is all about her. The whole thing, the entire plan the whole time, has been 100% about her. But, of course, making her feel like she's crazy. And, like, essentially, Leslie, and I think it goes back into this whole, like, male point of view thing where they think that they empower women. But in reality, he's not. Like, she doesn't need Leslie to be empowered. But what he's doing is he's entrapping her in this shit. And he's gaslighting her. And he's manipulating her into a situation in which, okay, now to survive, I have to go through all these steps that you laid out and thus play into your plan of, quote-unquote, me using your cock to empower myself. Sure. But it's only because he breadcrumbed her there. She didn't fully get there on her own. He step-by-step step led her there. Yes, she still fell for the trap and went along with it every step of the way. It worked perfectly. But he still did it. Like, he had to handhold her to that point. I I don't know if you have thoughts or feelings on any of the fucking load of shit I just said. I disagree that there's any kind of love story in here. I don't find anything about this film romantic or I don't think that there's any sexual tension. I don't I don't see any of that. If, If anything, it's coming only from his side. And I think even that moment of him saying like, I'm in love with the idea of her just cements that he's not in love with her there's it's not a romance he just loves the concept of having her be his final girl and have this like spiritual moment that is like all within himself it's all about him like he can say all he fucking wants that this is about empowering her but at the end of the day it's about what he thinks is like exciting and fun and what he wants to see and what he wants to he wants to feel powerful by making her feel powerful and I feel like Throughout the film, you know, there are moments where, like, you know, he shakes the hands of the the cameraman, but, like, he actively hugs her all the time. And she always, I don't know, I always viewed it as, like, her being uncomfortable. Um, and I think even at the end when she's, like, trying to convince him, I think that's a lot more for the sake of the people that he's going to kill than it is for his own well-being. Um, so, I mean, I feel like he has a, you know, the the same kind of, like, if you want to call it love for her that like Michael Myers would have for you know Jamie Lee Curtis or you know really any slasher that would have for their final girl because they have this like intimate connection if you want to call it because they're the only person who can defeat them but I don't Mm -hmm. think in any way that she reciprocated those emotions to him he's a weird fucking dude I think though like I think you're right I mean like Yes, there are a few moments where she's being tender with him. But I think it's because I, she's trying to, like, make a film. Well, yeah, but also she's very much the good versus his evil. Mm-hmm. So, like, she is going to try to, like, prevent death. But I think that's exactly what I'm saying, where it's like, he's definitely, like, obsessed in love, whatever. So it's it's not a romantic, like, sweet love story. It's like a fucked, warped love story in which it's one-sided. Once again, like I'm saying, like, Spike and Buffy... Where, like, Buffy is, like, 
No. I don't know how far into Buffy you are, but I don't think that this comparison I, will hold up. Well, don't say anything. I, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Don't, um, don't, don't go down that road. <laughs> I'm almost finished with season five. Okay. So I don't know if that means anything to you, but all I know at this point is that Spike has outwardly at this point recently admitted that like he has feelings for Buffy and he wants to win her favor. And she's outwardly been like, you're fucking gross. I want nothing to do with you. Okay. Um, But yeah, like you're talking about like, None of these other movies say anything close to this, but because this is a deconstruction of a slasher movie in a comical way, it presents this idea that, like, okay, so was, like, you know, Michael Myers, like, obviously obsessed is true for all of them. They're obsessed with killing this one girl and getting her. But in in turn, is that just our perception of it? And is it really, they're just so obsessed with empowering this woman and they're so in love with her and they're, mm-hmm. she's their life work and stuff like that, whether she wants it or not. I don't Which once it. again just goes into like male toxicity of being like. I think like, it's all just men pumping their own fucking egos up and creating a narrative in their head that is not reality. No, I agree yeah, 100%. But I don't, I don't consider that a love story, even if what they're feeling is love. I think it's... I don't know. I I feel like if it's a one-sided, like, destructive kind of emotion, I don't consider that a love story. I feel like that's more, like, a stalking. Well, I'm more so saying, like, from their point of view. Right. Yeah, and their deluded minds, like, they have a love story with this woman, but they don't. Right. And because it's a slasher and they insert her into like they're coming after her they or in this one he like does everything to blatantly insert her into this plan Mm -hmm. that then she has no say it's either she lays down and dies or she has to go along with everything right and play into it to get out of it Mm -hmm. which i think obviously plays into the the narrative of like these toxic men and, and like not to always bring it back to real world shit but like you know, these men that are, like, will convince themselves, like, no, she wants me, or we're meant to be together, and putting these women in these horrible, uncomfortable situations, which so many times, too many times, and it should never happen, become violent, or things like that, Mm -hmm. like, because these men are fucking unhinged, they're delusional, they're fucked up, which, like, thankfully, this movie, obviously, is not getting that serious ever. This is me, like, obviously, reaching for such deeper meanings. Like, this movie is just fun, like, nothing ever at least my, from my perception of it happens that made me be like I'm uncomfortable or anything like that mm-hmm. so yeah I don't know if you disagree or agree with that but yeah yeah I agree um but I do need to say because I know I brought up in the intro I'm not gonna fucking pretend that I don't have a crush on Leslie I think that's psychotic <laughs> <laughs> he's not real I don't care it's just like listen I think that he's cute no I think the actor is cute. You don't have to agree, bitch. I don't have an opinion on the actor. I have an opinion on the character, and he's not an attractive character. It's like, yeah, I fucking guess, but also, like, especially this far into quarantine, when my brain is literally two rats in a cage fighting each other, like, it's just nothing but worms up there, bro. Then I'm like, oh, my God. This is going back. Oh, my God. (laughs) Not to bring it back to the fucking... Oh my god, what episode did I bring this up? I don't even remember. Um, but our our um our loyal fans will know. When I talked about Halloween Town 2 Calabar's Revenge. Oh my god. <laughs> in which my little fucking rodent brain is like, oh my god, 
I want someone to be so obsessed with me and so in love with me that they <laughs> no it literally is so fucked up I don't actually want this I just need to put this out there because I say some wild shit on this podcast sometimes Anya, I don't you are actually, the problem I am the problem we know this did y'all listen to my fucking Oliver Jackson Cohen rant I need therapy um is that I don't actually want this shit in reality if a man ever even attempted to treat me this way decimated I would put him in the fucking ground everyone around me would fucking kill him like, no one in my life would allow me to be in a relationship like this, and I wouldn't allow me to be in a relationship like this. It's, but it goes into that, like, almost like the extreme version of those, like, enemies to lovers arcs. Listen, I understand where you're coming from. That whole, like, knowing that someone is, like, evil and bad, but still being, like, strangely attracted to the, like, anti-hero of it all. Like, mm-hmm. there's a there's a British uh, crime show called The Fall, which... Which is so fucking good. It's three seasons. And it stars Jamie Dornan. And he's like a fucking serial rapist and killer. But he's the lead actor. He's It's like an anti-hero. And he's so fucking hot. And I... The whole time I was watching it was like, this man is horrible. I should not be rooting for him. I should not love him. But I think I'm in love with him. And mm-hmm. I think it's the same thing. But Leslie? Girl. I, okay. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I know exactly what you're talking about. We're on the same page. It's like a shit like Damon from it. the Vampire Diaries and shit mm-hmm. like that, where it's like, you know, it's the bad boy that's only nice to me mm-hmm. or shit like that. Or where it's like, oh, and suddenly I've forgotten every, you know, awful thing they've ever done because they like me now. And they're they're good now. Obviously, Leslie does not play into that. Leslie the entire time is like a slasher. He's like unhinged. I think it's more so just like, I find the actor attractive I personally find this film funny. So, like, you know, humor is an attractive quality. I have a theory. I would love to hear it in a I, second. Um, and there is, to, like, a slight degree, I mean, not really like the other examples, but, like, the whole thing where it's, like, fuck everybody else. You're the only one that matters. Like, that kind of, like, oh, my God, I'm so important, I'm so important. When you really look at it in this context of the film, it's like, yeah, but he's still actively trying to fucking kill her. Then, yeah. But I would love to hear your theory about my fucking (laughs) disgusting brain. I think you just want someone to spend that much emotional labor and time to create, like, this fucking scavenger hunt-esque, like, plan to get you alone in a fucking orchard. I think that's what, you're just like, oh. All the, like, time and effort he put in to her. I want that. Okay, wait. Interesting, interesting, interesting. So you're saying <laughs> that my dream date is this boy being, like, you know, leaving me clues to to play his final girl for the night. Yeah. And then ending up in this spooky, foggy orchard where he's there. waiting for me. But I guess in turn he doesn't kill me. He just, like, is in love with me. Uh, yeah, I think... I think in your fantasy, once he actually is alone with you, he realizes he doesn't want to kill you. He wants to love you. Oh, my God. We live for role play. <laughs> um, you know what I just thought of? I should out your ass, but I won't. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do you dirty like you do me dirty every fucking time we record. I don't know what you're going to say, but I... I... You can tell me. All I'm going to say is Miss Christine. There was a day at the theater. I'm sure you remember... In which role playing was discussed, and that's all. Oh, I'm we're say. done with this conversation. <laughs> yeah. That was funny, though. That was a good time. Um, 
Oh my god. Okay, so I've I've <laughs> I've embarrassed myself for the episode now. That's checked off the to-do list. Mm-hmm. Um I'm not sure if there's anything else specifically that I wanted to touch upon. Is there anything else specifically you wanted to touch upon? Um, I guess I'll just bring it up very quickly because we should get to the Q and Slay. Um mm-hmm. I would love to just discuss briefly the final thirty minutes because I think a lot of what I found funny in the film was the last section where it's actually now you're within the slasher film and now he is this like entity that exists, you know, just purely to kill them. And I think it was really fun the way that they did, you know, all of the the character tropes and the way that they subverted Kelly and having her like be fucking that dude upstairs. I just felt like it was all very fun, like them running between the house and the cars and the barn and Mm -hmm. you know I think that Leslie's aesthetic is very powerful because like you know when he's just like a normal scrawny fucking dude I'm not afraid of him but I do think that his mask is very frightening and I think that the scythe as his weapon is very creative and original um so I I just really like the aesthetic of the last half an hour it felt very parody-ish but in like a well-done way um I you know there's a lot of kills. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about the kills at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to get too deep into them. But I, I do really appreciate the creativity and, you know, the spoofiness of it all. The last section of the film. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I really like it as well. Um, I think especially that part when we get to the part where it's like, okay, now we finally get to the part where he's going to kill. Here's the group of people. Here's the group of friends. It plays very much into our, our ranking system of stereotypical yeah, slasher people, slasher victims. Um, and, and what were you going to say? I was just going to say it, it feels like so much of the film feels like a buildup. And it, it's, mm-hmm. it's really like somewhat cathartic to finally get Especially because they switch from the the handheld camera to just a normal, like cinematic frame, it mm-hmm. feels like okay, we've we've done like all the all like the work like he's done, and now we can like sit back and enjoy the show. It's similar. I mean, obviously, this movie came afterward, um, but like something like One Cut of the Dead, oh, which if you that. haven't seen, highly recommend. So fucking good. So fucking good. It's available on Shutter. I think it's also available on Prime. So if you want a double feature, go for it. Talk about meta horror. This is a great one. Um, but in the fact that it's like you see a movie play out mm. and then they go back and they show you this is how they did the whole fucking thing. I love that. I gobble it up. So I think almost this is like the reverse of that. Absolutely. Like here's the whole lead up and now we'll show you the finished product mm-hmm. of here's what, what came together. Um, but I agree. I mean, I love the visual of Leslie in like the tattered clothes, the scythe, the mask. Um, I love the imagery, not just because it's my dream date, of the, the the foggy orchard where the soil, if it's tilled, it comes up with blood. Like all, all the, you know, under a harvest moon. Like it's all so perfect. I love it so much. Um, it's like the perfect visual of like a, if we were going to like a haunted hayride, rip, mm. literally this pandemic if it ruined one thing if it hurt me in some way the deepest it was not being able to go to haunted houses this year i understand why i'm not a fucking crazy bitch i'm not gonna do some crazy shit but it's still painful to have let that go um yeah i think that like just the mythos behind his character is probably one of my favorite parts of the film because they do really create this like really well-rounded original legend 
that I could see having its own franchise. Right. And that's what makes, I think, once again, something that's funny is that, like, all of it's a lie. Right. He made all of it up. He's set up everything to play out, as he says. Most of what we use is CGI. Um, but still, like you're saying, like, if for the people in this universe that don't know, what a fucking killer legend. Oh, yeah. Like, not, no, nobody knows this. So, like, he can just keep building upon it, which is why I desperately want a fucking sequel. Um, and I'd be so interested to see, like, is Leslie then going to make Taylor his life's work like keep going after her time and time again Mm -hmm. or is he going to pick somebody new kind of more like Friday the 13th every time um and I also wonder what kind of um you know just film technique they would use would they do another mockumentary would it just be a straightforward slasher film right I wonder I feel like they could do a lot of different things with it Oh, I mean, based on what they said the, ori- the original second script was and that they were going to play on found footage shit, mm-hmm. I would assume they would do kind of the same thing again of like a little mix of both. Mm-hmm. But we won't know unless we ever fucking see it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I think that's most everything. I'm just like this... That I personally, obviously, as you all have heard, I have a lot to praise about this movie, but I think it is time to move into everybody's favorite section, the Q and Slay. It's my favorite section. Uh, it's good. It's good. Should I start or should you start? You can start, baby. Okay, bitch. Um, <clears throat> do you have a favorite line from this movie? Okay, so this was the question that I had the hardest time coming up with an answer for. Damn, um, okay. Because a lot of the, like, one-liners in the film I actually thought were, like, annoying, and I rolled my mm-hmm. eyes. Um, I won't say any just in case they are yours. I don't want to step on your toes. Um, okay. But, yeah, a lot of, like, the one-liners that stood out to me, I was, like, not really feeling. And then nothing really jumped out at me, so I went online to try to, like, find quotes, and they only had, like, six quotes everywhere that were, like, the same things, and none of those where I was vibing with so I was just thinking okay. about it and there was one small scene that I I do like a lot so I wrote down the the lines it is after it's pretty early on it's about 10 minutes in when you know they're just kind of like getting to know Leslie and he's kind of you know just giving them a day-to-day rundown of what he's doing and he has just done out like he's just ran on the treadmill a lot and he says mm-hmm. it's like three sentences so bear with me he says you have no idea how much cardio i have to do it's ridiculous you ought to be able to run like a freaking gazelle without getting winded plus this there's that whole thing of making it look like you're walking when everybody else is running their asses off and i gotta stay with them i just thought that was really funny because Mm -hmm. that's like such a classic fucking horror trope of like girl is busting ass and michael myers is just like you know casually taking a stroll behind her and he still catches up with her And I think it was funny to have him be like, you know, having to watch the physical labor of him getting into that kind of shape where, like, he can be daunting in just, like, a stride. I thought it was very tongue-in-cheek. I thought it was funny. Um, Just, like, moments like that where they're kind of, you know, breaking down those tropes in, like, a very realistic kind of way I think works the best. Mm -hmm. So that's – I think that's my favorite – my favorite line. Okay. I mean, I love that because it, it presents the visual of, like, 
oh, so, like, is it, like, Jamie Lee's, like, running, right? And she rounds a corner, and, like, to catch up with her, like, Michael's, like, hauling ass, and then when he's, like, back in view, he's, like, walking again. Yeah, he's, like, like I think that's over, really funny. Like, he can't breathe. Right, he's, like, <gasps> and then she, like, turns, and he's just, like, like, still. Um, I think that's really funny. That's a funny little horror short. If someone's made that already, somebody link it to me, but if not, great idea that I'm just giving y'all for free. <laughs> that's really funny. Um, because I'm too fucking lazy to do it. Mm-hmm. Anywho. What is this? Um, Mine, I mean, obviously, as I said, I personally think this movie is very funny. It works for me. As clearly doesn't work for you, you know. We have our differences, y'all. We're not the same person all the time, despite what you may think. Um, I already said some of them. I mean, you know, with the whole, like, um, a lot of what we use as CGI, I think, is funny. I thought the bit about, like, you know, we have a code of ethics that the closet is a sacred place. It's symbolic of the womb is funny. Um... But what I will say is the library scene had two kind of almost back-to-back uh, lines that I found were really funny in which, like, they Leslie's, like, fucking leaping like a, they say, like, a monkey or whatever um, to, like, place this, like, CGI, like, newspaper clip uh, or altered newspaper clip for her to find all the shit. And, he, and they're, like, hiding in the stacks. And he comes back and he's, like, so giddy. Mind you, he's, like, getting ready to kill a bitch. But he's so excited. And he's like, it's going to get wet in here tonight. Which was so funny to me. But then, more so, and this I feel like is the line that everybody, if they were to pick a line from this movie, picks. But I don't care. In which he's, because I think it has a double meaning. You know, wah, wah, wah. It's symbolic. What the fuck ever. Come for me. Um, in which he's sitting there and he he's like, Paradise Lost. And then reaches behind him, pulls out a copy of Paradise Lost. And he's like, found it. Because obviously it's just like a stupid little joke about like, like a dad joke. But at the same time, it's like Leslie is in his paradise in this moment. Like he's finally beginning to enact his plan. He's doing his first kill. Everything goes perfectly. So he's in his, he's, his paradise isn't lost. He's found it. He's in it. So I'd say those are some of my favorite lines. But I think that there's so many throughout just like little quips and one-liners. And like you're saying, like little, even just like, you know, a few sentences strung together of him, like, explaining a trope, but in, like, their real, their real world context is funny. I am so glad that I let you do it because I fucking hate that line, Paradise Lost, found it. I think it's, I rolled my eyes so hard. I was like, but I think that's the point. It's like an eye roller. It's like a ridiculous dad joke. But I don't think it's funny. I think it's stupid. I, ugh, it annoyed me. And I knew, I knew you were going to pick that. Well, I'm annoying, bitch. I don't know what to tell you. I just was like, shut up, Leslie. <laughs> Girl, he's funny. I don't know what to tell you. He's not funny. I don't think he's He's funny. a goddamn riot. I don't get it. Humor goes over <laughs> my head, I guess. I don't think it's funny, but that's fine. It's like, when you come to our fucking dinner parties, you're going to be so annoyed because we're just going to be cracking jokes. Me and Leslie, yeah, my I husband. Would, I, would, I would not come to your party. I'm sorry. <laughs> I live that you'd be like, I'm not coming. Well, you you're not going to come to my fucking dinner anyway. party? Would you say? You want to be alone with him anyway. Not at all hours. Okay, moving Babe, on. he's not the Mandalorian. <laughs> Babe, he's not the Mandalorian. I'm moving on. We um, should move on. I don't want to embarrass myself further. What is your favorite kill? Oh, goodness. I mean, like we said, there aren't a whole bunch, honestly, in the movie. Favorite kill? Um... Um, I'd probably honestly say Taylor killing Leslie. Mm-hmm. 
just because like there's a moment when right before she does the final crunch of his skull where he like pries off his mask and he says something like I, I knew it was you or like something like that where it's like even in his final moments of like in theory getting killed he's just so happy and he's so proud of both himself and of her mm-hmm. and it's just so ridiculous and then she crunched like you know finishes the job um so I think like that once again is just like it plays into everything that has been set up for the entire film and it's funny so I would say that's my favorite kill what about you yeah I mean I have some opinions on the kills um I mean that is the obvious answer so I chose an alternative because I had a feeling you would also pick that um okay in general I think that these kills are very weak and very um uncreative especially considering he's trying to be a legend like fucking Jason and Freddy and to have kills that I don't think really I mean the fact that like there aren't a lot of them and you can't really remember what they were I feel like the kills are the the meat and the potatoes you know doing something creative and visually interesting having a scythe like you can do a lot with that I feel like he doesn't really utilize it at all um Mm -hmm. so I mean aside from his death which I think is far and above the best one the only other one that really stood out to me is when he kills the kid outside the shed with the shears and then he opens them inside him cuts his heart out and puts it in his hand yeah yeah I feel like everything else is very like by the book like a hanging or like he just you know he stabs you but like I feel like you don't get to see a lot of them it's kind of just like he swings it cuts and it cuts back and they're dead yeah I mean there really isn't a lot of on-screen death there isn't a lot of gore there isn't a lot of blood or anything which once again I think plays into the whole thing I was saying earlier about like you have somebody that may be horror and like isn't really their Mm -hmm. thing all the time it's nothing overwhelming this movie there's no there's really no heavy scares or anything like that it's really easygoing um but yeah I mean the heart one I honestly forgot I've seen this movie several times and this time around I don't know if I just forgotten or I'd never noticed but like when that scene happens when like because it kind of holds on it of him like putting the heart in the guy's hand and he's holding it Mm -hmm. I was like why have I never seen this one before like why am I just (laughs) registering it now so I mean it was good I don't know why the fuck I must have blinked for a long ass time all the other times that I watched it and missed it but yeah yeah it's a good one it's a good one um Miss Alex Mm -hmm. if you were in this movie in this universe who would be your partner in crime there is no question whatsoever that Zelda Rubenstein, a.k.a. Mrs. Mm. Collinwood, would be my ride or die. I would yeah. do anything for that woman, R.I.P. She is yeah. just the fucking cutest thing. I could listen to her tell me a spooky story all night long. I would walk her home. I would hold her hand. Aww. I would pick her up in the morning and drive her to work. I love her. I would move in with Zelda if she offered I, I mean, her. bro, that's, like, the dream God, of, I like, we live in a small town. I work at the library. Me and Zelda. She's oh. my bitch. Like, we goss every day. Oh, my God, bro. When you talked about her telling you scary stories, what I wouldn't give. That sounds like a great job. I need to apply. Literally. Um, yeah, I mean, I love that woman. I think after, um, I, don't, I think we've talked about it on here before, but Shudder has a series called Cursed Films in which they talk about 
horror films that are notorious over the years where people think that they're cursed. Mm-hmm. And the Polter, all the episodes are really good. I really like the Poltergeist episode mm-hmm. because they talk about like all the stuff that happened on the set of Poltergeist, like the deaths that happened afterward and how everyone was like, oh my God, it's cursed. And they had a really interesting perspective, which I agree with, which is just like, you know, it's all fun and games to like buy into that shit. But at the same time, like these are real people whose real lives were lost. Like a young girl, like, like a, a literal child. Yeah. And, like, a young woman who was, like, murdered by her boyfriend. And to, like, walk around and be like, oh, it's because of the poltergeist curse. Like, it's just, like, disrespectful to them mm-hmm. and their memory. And I, they had a clip of Zelda Rubenstein, like, on an interview essentially being like, I'm not talking about that shit. Yeah. Like, just, like, putting her foot down. And I was just like, I already liked this woman. I just have so much respect for her in the fact that, like, she's not fucking doing this shit. Mm-hmm. Like, show some fucking respect for these people that she had a relationship with because she was on the sets of the films with them. Like, and now they're dead and they're gone. Like, she had a real personal relationship with them. She's not going to buy into the, like, you guys sensationalizing it for, like, ooh, is there a curse because you you use real skeletons or whatever? Like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) Is Um, she also your choice? She's not my choice, but honestly, like, what a good choice. I'm kind of jealous. Honestly, girl, I just have to play into the fucking delusional ass narrative I've already created. Stop. Literally, we already know. The delusional ass narrative I've created for myself, which is my partner in crime would be Leslie. I would be his fucking survivor girl. I mean, it's destiny. I mean, we all know. I haven't made it. I'm pretty sure we've probably talked about it. My, I, I always envision myself as the final girl because I'm that self-absorbed. Like, I know in reality I wouldn't be, but like... In my head, where I'm the main character, babe, I'm the fucking final girl. Thus, Leslie would be my partner in crime. He would have to be fixated on me. It would be us going toe-to-toe. Easily Leslie. Easily Leslie. Well, I guess that just segues into the question of would you survive? (laughs) Um, would I survive? If you're the final Um, girl. If I am, as I'm presenting in this scenario, the survivor girl... Yes. Especially in this where it's, you know, he's setting you up or he's telling you everything beforehand. Mm-hmm. Even if, I, if I'm if i going along with the same narrative of, like, I didn't realize so it was too late that I was a survivor girl. Um, I think in this case my vast knowledge of the horror genre would help me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in general, if it ever comes down to it in real life, um, if I'm put in a life or death situation, I will do what the fuck I have to do to get out of it. If that means crushing a motherfucker's head in an apple grinder, babe, no second thoughts. It's done. Um, so I do think that I'm going to survive. What about you? Yeah, it's a, it's kind of tricky for me because, I mean, I want to – I I feel like it could go either way because if, I, if I'm talking like me currently today sitting here, no, simply because we've been in quarantine for a year and my cardio has not been good and mm-hmm. I'm like not in the shape that I usually am in to like outrun these motherfuckers but Mm -hmm. I would say you know given you know an an average normal day for me I think most people in general are kind of narcissistic in the fact that like you always think you would be the final girl Mm -hmm. because you know you're living you're the main fucking star in your life so of course you were the final girl um but whether or not I would be a final girl I don't know but I do know that I would A, have no problem stabbing a motherfucker if they were coming at me, and B, I have, it's just always been a pet peeve with me for, with women in horror when, like, 
if you escape someone, you fucking run and you just run as far as you can go without stopping. I know you're going to get tired, but you know what I would just tell myself? I know it hurts, but if I stop, I'm dead. And I just, I would just run forever because they're not going to just continue to chase me. I wouldn't hide. I wouldn't, you know, go back. I would just run as mm-hmm. far as I could. And so therefore I think I would, I would escape because I would be smart. I mean, yeah, it. I mean, two things. I mean, Eugene really brings it up in the movie. That was almost it's, my quote, yeah. Because before they're going to implement the plan for the night, they visit Eugene and his wife one last time. You know, they're wishing him good luck and shit. And, like, Taylor has a final question to him. She's like, you know, what's one piece of advice? And his wife is like, you know, stay away from the virgin or what the fuck ever. But he's like, my piece of advice is to just, like, haul ass mm-hmm. to literally run do not stop running. Pick a point in the fucking distance on the horizon and run to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't turn around. You're not going to like what you see. Don't try to hide. We will find you. Mm-hmm. Literally everything you were just saying. Yeah. So I think so that true. just further shows that you know what the fuck you're talking about, bitch. I just like, I understand the mentality of like going back to like save a friend or like your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Like I get that. But when people are like running in the woods and then they stop and they hide behind like a tree... I'm like, I get you're tired, but keep going. I just, like, I would never stop. I want to ask you something. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, well, yeah, I'll go back to the thing. I want to ask you something, and I want you to be completely honest. I will not be upset. Okay. I promise. We were in a slasher movie. Yeah. And we were running through the woods. Like, this motherfucker was on us. Like, it's life or death in this moment. And I tripped and fell. Like, I'm talking, like, my fucking foot's caught in a root or some shit. Are you leaving me to save yourself, or are you coming back to get me? I will not be mad. It would depend on how far back he was. If I could get to you before he got to you, yes. If he was, like, right there on you, I'm sorry, I would leave. Okay. Because, okay. like, if, if, I, if I can, like, in my brain be like, I can grab her and we can keep running, or if I grab her, he's gonna be at us and we're potentially both gonna die... Then I would save myself. What if, okay, what about this? Okay. He's that, he's far enough back at this point where you can run to me and you can get me. Mm-hmm. Give me my feet, but I've twisted my ankle. I can't run anymore. I would still take you because even if he caught up with us, he would grab you and then I could keep going. <laughs> you would be my human sacrifice. <laughs> it's like he said, if you're going to be in a group, make sure that someone's slower than you. I mean, you're fucking right, bro. You're right for that. No, um, I would do everything I could to help you along, but if it came to it and he came with us... <laughs> Then if he has to grab one of us, I'm, I have a better chance of making because I didn't twist my ankle. I'm literally just imagining him running up on us. He's right on us. And you just turn and look me in the eyes and you're like, I'm sorry, bitch. And you just throw my body back. <laughs> Hopefully we're never in that situation. No, oh, but at least I know now going into it where we stand. Um, you know don't ask questions you don't want the answers to. Okay? I don't. Am I saying anything otherwise, bitch? I accepted your answer. I know. Um... But I also think it's funny when you're talking about, like, I don't know if we talked about it on this podcast before or just to each other, but the whole thing about, like, when you're running and you're like, oh, my God, this literally feels like I'm going to die. But you're like, if I stop running, I will die. Mm-hmm. So, like, just push through the pain. Like, the it's either pain while I'm running or death. Mm-hmm. But, like, I think we've talked about this maybe. Where, like, back in the olden days of gyms now and being on the treadmill, like, I feel like I would try to play that that game in my mind. Oh, yeah. Where I'd be running and then it would I would, like, put on a perfect song and I'd be like, I'm being chased go 
So then when it got to the point in the song where I'm like, I'm literally going to die. I'm going to throw up. It's like, bitch, someone is behind you. You are in a horror movie right now. You better run your ass or yeah. you will not make it. And you know what? It's a great motivator. So anybody, it is. Um, if you live in a place where um, it's safe to go to the gym and you're going to the gym or you own a treadmill or you're running outside, use that to motivate yourself. I highly recommend. Yeah, but I mean, I feel um, like there's also that obviously that added like adrenaline that you have in the actual moment that, you know, there can be times where like you can, that's a great mindset to have when you're trying to exercise, but like you also know that you're not in danger when you really are. Like I could not imagine my body stopping, even if I wanted it to, because I would be so fucking scared. That I would just, I would just be out. Doc, I remember, oh my god, I can't remember if I told you this or not. It's not anything wild, but like, I know that when it comes down to it, if I feel like I'm in danger, like, and not even necessarily always in danger, but just like, my, my body's reactions, and I don't think this is anything that's like unique to me, but to like the idea of receiving pain, the fight or flight comes to me so quick. The amount of times that I have not actually been in a fight or flight situation, but my body has reacted like I am, unreal. I remember this one time when I was younger and I was at the dentist and I had to get a cavity filled, which, whatever, like I don't like needles, I don't like pain, like now if I have to give it a cavity filled, which I haven't in several years, um, but when I have, like it's like, okay, you just grip the seat, whatever, you get it over with. I remember I had to be young. They came in the room and they tried to put that needle in my mouth to numb me. When I tell you in my brain, it was like, this is the last moments of my life. (laughs) I knew I wasn't going to die. There was no like, it wasn't like I was so young that I didn't understand. It was just this knowledge of like, that's a needle and I don't want it. It will inflict pain and I will do whatever the fuck it takes to not get it. Mm -hmm. I started kicking these doctors in the chest bro they had they were trying to hold me i'm not making up they're trying to hold me down to the chair and i'm fucking kicking and screaming my mother was mortified i'm sure like she had to come in and take me out and they were like we need to reschedule like it's clearly not gonna happen today and of course you know she's fucking she's pissed off at me obviously because she's like you've embarrassed me you know my little smug ass is like be as mad as you want bitch guess who didn't get the needle in their mouth today a me um so I know that if it comes down to it and I feel that I am in danger I don't know 100% that I'm gonna make it out but I could tell you one thing I'm gonna fight like a motherfucker I think it's good because we have that kind of like I feel like we have the mentality of like always kind of being prepared for it of like right it's something that like I'm not expecting it to ever happen but if it did I'm mentally and physically like ready I have like what I, I have my plan already in my head yeah and so like I'm not going to be taken off guard. I'm going to fucking do what I need to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should move on to the last question. <laughs> oh, am I the one asking it? Yeah, yeah. I am. Um, the last question. If you could change one thing about this movie, and I'm sure you got plenty, but we'll keep it to one, um, what would it be? Well, I'm going to keep it to two. <laughs> Bitch. Fine. Well, because one of them I've already kind of talked about, but I want to touch on okay. it briefly again, which is that I really think that this film would have benefited from better kills. I understand that it's probably a budget issue, Mm -hmm. but like I said, if you are setting up, you know, this person to become the next icon in line after these like massive people like Chucky and Freddy and Jason, then his kills need to be memorable. And I don't think Mm -hmm. that they were. And I think that that just kind of takes me out of it a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. Also just, I want good practical effects in any horror movie that I watch. So like, it's a given. 
Okay. But my other main thing I would change, I think, is going to be a hot take. Okay. And, I mean, you've had plenty. Let's go. I think Keep it going. I don't want to offend anyone, but... <laughs> <laughs> Bitch, you've already come for my throat like three times this episode. Just fucking do it. I would have cast somebody else as Taylor. I did not think that she was a good actress. I did not like her. I did not find her approachable or I did not root for okay. her. I think part of it is because of her like really weird reporter voice that she used throughout most of the film Mm -hmm. i just like there was something about her that i did not connect to and i did not root for her and i think that that's such an important aspect in a final girl is being like a likable well-rounded strong female character and i just didn't really get that vibe from her okay um I don't disagree with either. I definitely, like, yeah, like, I love the movie how it is, but I would not be mad at all if there was bigger, badder kills. If they remade it or if they made a sequel, like, mm-hmm. I'm 100% on board for that. We we love practical effects here, so yes, please. Um, it's always appreciated. So I agree with that. And then the Taylor thing, yeah, I mean, she didn't outwardly strike me as someone that was a bad actress. No, but no, I also, like, um, but once again, like, she was – the the only thing that I know this bitch from is one line in Home Alone. Like, literally one line. Um, So it's not like she's, like, really made an imprint on my mind any deeper than that. Um, I really thought you were going to say some shit like you wish someone else played Leslie and then I was going to be offended. Um, <laughs> it's going to be like, how fucking dare you? Um, but when you said Taylor, I was like, oh, yeah, sure. For sure. So honestly, your, 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 your wishes, I would be fine if they were granted. Yeah, I mean... I don't have to- She's not a bad actress. Like, there's nothing wrong with her. I just didn't. But I think also I, in turn, I don't want to be her friend, I guess. But I think just the way that the script is written and the story, mm-hmm. it almost presents itself for you to not fully root for her because of the thing we are talking about earlier where it's like mm. her, her morals kind of being wishy-washy. Mm. True. In the fact that it's like once Leslie starts killing people, she doesn't immediately say like, mm, I'm done with this. Like, she clearly, they show, I think they do a good job of, like, clearly showing that she's rattled. Yeah. She's kind of struggling with, like, LOL, am I going to keep doing this? Like, I, I, okay, now it's real, what the fuck? But because of the fact that she doesn't immediately say, like, no, ma'am, I'm not doing this, makes it, like, you know, because even, like, when she goes to the house and, like, they're explaining to the kids, like, okay, they're like, wait, you've been following us this whole time, you were going to leave us here to die? And they literally can't even answer them because, like, they know how fucked up that is. Mm-hmm. So, I think that presents itself to making it harder to like her but yeah yeah, I mean I wouldn't be mad if somebody else was in the role yeah I think think it could be a combination of the way that her character is written and also the fact that like I just don't think that she portrayed the character with like a lot of charisma mm -hmm. so it's it's you know she wasn't like exciting to watch whereas like Leslie is very dynamic and I feel like she kind of you know didn't match him a lot yeah, I, but, but also that does play into a little bit, I feel like. I mean, one, she, all her both her camera people are guys. And the whole time, like, the whole bit with them is, like, they're like, yeah, Leslie. Like, broing out. Mm-hmm. And she literally has to be like, will you stop? Like, yeah. fucking be professional. Um, but then also, like, not to say that this is true of every final girl, because it's not. I mean, many of our favorites do not fall into this. But I feel like there are many, you know, just generic one-off slashers where the final girl is kind of this, like, meek... Mm. little like quiet simple girl which she does play to in a lot of ways so I think 
that works in that sense that they're trying to parody it of, mm-hmm. like, Leslie is this big personality, so much energy, and, like, she's never going to be able to meet that because she is his survivor girl, his girl next door type. Um, but, you know, once again, yeah. I don't disagree with anything that you've presented. Um, I think if I were to change one thing about this film, and it's so funny because it's literally, like, the first thing that you brought up, um, is I would make the full thing mockumentary. I would never cut away to the cinematic, you know, here's how it would look if it was actually a slasher movie. I don't hate that in the version we get. Like, I'm not like, oh, that happens and I hate it. But if I were to make this movie even more so, like, carve a place for it in my heart, it would just be full mockumentary, full them going through the motions as they're, like, videoing it, like, fucking gorilla style. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so I think that would be my big change. So, like, I hope that if there's a sequel... Which is kind of, like, I got excited when I saw that, like, the original second script, like, very much talks about, like, found footage. I was like, oh my god, yeah, just make the whole thing found footage. Like, I don't need the cutaways. And I'm sure that would save you money. I mean, that's a huge factor, I'm sure, in the fact that this is low budget. That, like, you know, 75% of the film, they get away with shooting on just, like, a camcorder or whatever. Like, Blair Witch style. I think probably a lot of the money comes from having to do these cinematic sequences, even though there aren't a lot of them, but that definitely costs more money, for sure. Yeah, I, mean, um, I definitely, I agree. I think it would be feel a lot more cohesive. Yeah, because that's the thing. It's like, then it, it can become a little confusing, regardless if your your team found footage or your team shoot it like a 2000 slasher. Like, jumping between both, because mm-hmm. we're supposed to take it all in, like, it's, like, real world. When you do cut to it being, like, oh, a oh, it's shot like a movie now? You're like, okay, but it's still it's still really happening in this universe. It can be a little confusing. It doesn't completely mesh together perfectly. But as it is now, it doesn't ruin the movie for me. I agree. I just, I think if I was going to have it be all found footage, I would just like the quality of the found footage camera to be stronger. Mm-hmm. Because especially comparing it to like how crisp and nice the the other part looked, it just made it look even like more low budget. Mm-hmm. And I'm just bougie. I don't want to watch something that looks like my Nana shot it. <laughs> on her, like, fucking 1998. Speaking of order. Nanas, <laughs> my God, bro, and what? found footage, The Visit. I don't yeah. know why I'm bringing it up because I've seen it so long ago, but. You hate The Visit, don't you? Yeah, babe. <laughs> I don't, I don't recommend, you guys. I don't hate it. Oh my god, we'll have to do it sometime. We'll have to talk about it, because okay. I have motherfucking thoughts on the visit. Okay. Uh, anyways, <laughs> what was your point? sorry, M. Night Shyamalan. Um, anywho. That, no point that about, that. What'd you it. say? You had no point. You were just like speaking <laughs> of Nana. It was just like literally, visit. we talked about found footage, and you said Nana, and I was like, oh right, that found footage movie with the old people. I should say how I don't like that. <laughs> Amazing, I love it. Um, but that about wraps up yeah. uh, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. I do want to say one thing. Mm-hmm. I was going out of my fucking mind crazy because I swear to God, I don't know if it's something that we, we covered for this podcast mm-hmm. or something I saw on my own, but I swear to you, I was watching another horror movie and they like mentioned Leslie Vernon in it. Really? Because I remember being like, oh my God. That's so funny that, like, I guess in theory these take place in the same universe. Because I literally, when I was on Letterboxd, I was, like, clicking everyone that was, like, part of the movie, like, the crew. Mm-hmm. And seeing, like, did they work on another movie? And I couldn't find anything. 
And I might be truly fucking fabricating this in my head. But if anybody knows for any reason what movie they mention, if they ever do, Leslie Vernon in another horror movie, please message me or message us on Instagram or fucking email us, you know, all the shit gets put on at the end of the episode, all of our social media. I have to know. I literally was like trying to Google it and I couldn't find anything. It's eating my brain more so than my horny thoughts. Well, it can't be anything that we did for a main film because none of them came out post this film. Right. But I mean, just go through your massive letterbox list and see what you've watched recently. But bro, I watched so much and I don't know how recently it was. (laughs) Like I'm losing my fucking mind. Um, and then I was like, oh, is it Ginger Snaps? But it's not. Because I remember there was something else where, we, like, Ginger Snaps takes place in the same universe as mm-hmm. something else. Yeah. So I was like, that's not it. I don't know. I, I will say, part it, of does, me is like, it does sound kind of familiar to me when you're talking about it. And I don't know. Like, part of my brain was like, I feel like we did it on the podcast because I, I halted myself from bringing it up because I knew we were going to do this movie and I was going to talk about it then. And then, of course, I don't remember what it is. I'll so, do some research for you, babe. You're so kind. You're so good to me. But... Anywho, on that, um, that is Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon from 2006, one year after the fucking critically acclaimed by me, the critic, House of Wax 2005. Um, but yeah, uh, so I, oh my god, we have to do our ratings. That's, that's the final thing. So Ms. Alex, yeah. what are you giving it? Um, I, I know that we don't like to have to do like the half stars. But you can do half stars. I just wanted to stop doing it for a hot second because I was only doing half stars. I know. It's just, you know, it's tough. But in our little ratings, I would give it two and a half, a football player who loves to smoke weed. Stoner bro, dumb jock. Damn. Um, okay. I'm giving this a boy next door. I think that might be my highest rating thus far for a main <gasps> I episode. Um, I, I just love this movie. It's a tight 90, like I said. It's so easy to watch. As somebody, I don't, and I'm, we're both people, so I don't want to be like, if you're someone that loves the genre, you'll absolutely love this movie because you love the genre and you don't love this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but personally speaking, as someone also that loves the genre, it really works for me. I personally think it's really funny. I think it's really smart. I think on repeat viewings. I think it's something that, like, kind of you've pointed out, and even I have noticed myself, like, there's definitely flaws there's definitely things that like maybe don't quite work well but if you go into it not trying to be incredibly critical and just like go into it like just to have fun you think you'll enjoy it and you know if you don't binge watch it you don't watch it fucking once a month and you give yourself some time in between you know let it age like fine wine you really enjoy it um yeah so I definitely highly recommend and I mean even as somebody who is a horror fan and didn't particularly care for this film I do still really appreciate the originality of it and the ideas that went into it it just as a film doesn't work for me but as a as a concept it really does and I think it could work in other mediums in a better way for me so I mean it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination in my opinion (sighs) all right well Well, that's all we got for you folks so um you know, if there's ever, we, we never know if there's going to be a mini-sode. If there is, you know, you're welcome. Um, other than that, I guess we will, you'll hear from us in, what is the next month after this? April. April. You'll hear from us in April. And then I think, oh my God, bro. Then that will complete our first season of the pod. Is April when we started or May? 
May. So okay. April will be the last episode of our inaugural season. Ooh. I guess I got. Oh pick my god. We'll have to do something special in April. Who the fuck knows? Like, maybe a, a special ending of season one mini-sode. But we're not promising anything because we're lazy. Um, anywho, uh, we love you guys so much. Thanks for coming along this month. And as always, keep it creepy. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Girls Who Cried Be Horror. We want, as always, to thank those who've helped us get here. Without them, we would just be screaming about horror to each other instead of in a podcast form. So first, a big thank you to Bridget Garrity for creating our amazing artwork that we love. Please feel free to follow her and check out all of her other artwork on her Instagram at Bridget underscore Elizabeth XO. Support her. We love her. Literally, Anya's sister. Um, A huge thank you also to Nathan Graham, who is our musically talented friend and created our intro music. Please support him on his Instagram at official blue caprice and check out all of his original music on Spotify. And lastly, thank you to my guy, Greg Vellante, for editing all of our episodes every month so we don't sound too stupid. Uh, feel free to check him out on Twitter at Vellante Views. And if you are so inclined and you, for some reason, like me, and you want to follow me on social media, I don't post very often. I am much more of a lurker, but please feel free. Uh, if you want to check out an occasional photo of my cats, you can follow me on Twitter at Alex Branley. And if you'd like to follow me on social media, please do. I love any form of validation. My Twitter is at agarity15. My Instagram is at G-E-E-W-A-Y, the number four, and then ever. So that's G-Way forever. And if you want to keep up with everything I'm watching, you can follow me on Letterboxd at agarity15, or you can just search my name and I should be the only Anya Garrity that pops up. Uh, I give my hot takes on a lot of horror movies there, as well as non-horror cinema as well. And if you just can't bear the thought of social media accounts that don't have both of our presence, fear not. You can follow The Girls Who Cried Be Horror on Instagram at The Girls Who Cried Be Horror and Twitter at Girls Who Cried BH. You can also email us all your thoughts, opinions, and darkest secrets at thegirlswhocriedbehorror at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Leaving written reviews really helps us out and helps the podcast out a lot, and it only takes a minute. So please do us this kindness, and in return, you will own a piece of our souls forever. (laughs) You'll become a horcrux. So thank you so much, y'all, and until next time, keep it creepy. The girls who cried be horror